0: Support for This Australian Life comes from the North Queensland Holden Ute Appreciation Society. The best part of life, whatever comes your way, whether it's a crate of VB, a fly-tip sofa that's probably still good, or a hoppin' dog that you hit on your way to the bottle shop, is that you can throw it in the back of the ute and be good to go. Welcome to This Australian Life. I'm Sheila Koenig, and as autumn turns to winter, you might be asking yourself, Crikey, is it finally time to tinker about in the garage? Maybe build those shelves that bloody Sandra's been nagging you about for ages? You could do it with what you've got, but the state of your toolkit is absolute cactus, so you pile into the ute and you burn it to a Bunnings for a stack of brackets and a wooden mallet. You get to the car park, you find a spot, and you're about to enter the store, and struth, it hits you, the smell of a perfectly cooked Bunnings snag. What is it about a sausage served in sandwich bread that seems to go hand in hand with buying lumber and nails? There's something ineffably Australian about perusing the hinge aisle with a gob full of meat. Like seeing the Southern Cross or having a dingo eat your baby. Much ink and blood, frankly, has been spilled about Bunnings' recent edict to banish the fried onions to the depths below the sausage. But today, I feel we should ask a deeper question. Why do we do it? What about this big desert island in the middle of the ocean makes us crave it so? I went down to my local Bunnings to find out more. Aussie rules football. V-neck t-shirts that Borat would blush at the bloated carcasses of roadkill kangaroos on the highway from Perth to Darwin. These are just a handful of the singularly Australian things for which I find it's difficult to arrive at an explanation. They just are. We know them by sight and smell. We feel a loss without them. And yet we seem to be the only nation on earth that has them. Add to that list the Bunnings Snag, a humble, foundational tradition of the Australian people, to have a sausage at the tool store. I spoke to some people at my local Bunnings to get a flavour of what the sausage and bread means to them. The first person I encountered was something of a local character. He was buying a large funnel and some tubing, which I assumed was for a meth lab, but which he said was for gardening. Fucking, yeah, no, nah, dude, the Bunnings snag is cooter. It's ripper shit. Honestly, hard out. It, the Bunnings snag, I'm fucking honking for one right now, to be honest.
1: Be fucking yet you
0: drongo if you don't think the bunning snag is sick you're honestly a drop kick as far as i'm concerned when i'm finished with you you're gonna have a face like a smash crab
2: oh mate this bunnings is bogan fucking central
0: and don't even get me started on any rats who are going down to bunnings and having a snag without the sauce in there sauce and onions and uh, if if you're telling me i can't have that shit i'd rather shit my hands and clap to be honest as if by serendipity There was some pom in the shop who claimed he was a famous comedian, and I had a chance to get his reaction. These kinds of outsider perspectives are always so valuable to good journalism. How do they see us? How do I see myself? Is there something edifying in that distance? I have no fucking idea.
2: Hello, my name's David Badil. You may have heard of me. I'm in Australia promoting my tour of my Twitter mansions. It's just a program talking about the, the daily indignities of being alive and... You know, I decided something was lacking on stage, so I, I came to Bunnings to get materials to make a... Oh, I don't know, statuesque representation of gender to a company on stage. Why, why are there so many genders? What are these SJ-dubs still talking about?
0: Boy Sharko, isn't that that prick who did the blackface?
2: Anyway, as soon as I arrived, I saw people grilling sausages at this DIY shop. Are these Islington Corbinistas grilling jackfruits or something? They're probably vegans. They're probably saying, "Hey, you cunt in my mentions right this moment." Well, gotta get away from this, Strongo.
0: I think, in sum, to bring this segment to a close, all we can really say is, "Crikey."
2: Hello and welcome again to Trash Future, that podcast you're listening to at the moment. Uh, Mm. It's Riley. I am recording, having just eaten a fine summer squash soup with a bit of freshly baked bread and a Pacifico lager. I'm joined uh, by Milo, who has recently (laughs) entered uh, the studio.
0: Yeah, I'm in I'm in the studio. I, I'm in the studio for, for necessary reasons. Um but mm. uh so I'm recording here, but I I couldn't park my car because all the business bays were full of uh rude boys in Priuses smoking weed, which I gather is the new business around here. Yeah, it's
2: business. Hmm. Uh, also joined by Alice.
3: Yeah, in my Prius smoking weed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um calling in from Rome, uh it is our friend, uh, second time guest on the show, David Adler, the general coordinator of the Progressive International. David, how's it going? It's going
4: very well. I'm in. I don't even know which day of the lockdown it is. I haven't left my house in weeks, and mm. my underwear. I've been in my underwear for, mm-hmm. I think, ten days straight. So yeah. nice. Mm. I, yeah, well, you know, your listeners can't see me. So. I can just bask in this underwork glory as long as I need. Pleasure to
0: be here. You, <laughs> know, right. you know what they say, when in Rome, absolutely do not leave the house.
3: <laughs> just just free balling. Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I feel like if there's, uh, th- this, this coronavirus is going to kill a couple of things. It might kill the restaurant, it might kill the cinema, it's also going to kill pants, and I, I, for one, am entirely supportive of this. Oh yeah, mm.
2: absolutely. Um... And uh, other things that the coronavirus is doing, we're just going to go over a couple of quick news hits. Um, is breaking it is news one, the breaking news? Uh, all all of the uh, liberal columnists in the UK have gotten an incredibly high dudgeon uh, this week because Owen Jones gently suggested to them that if they can afford to, they should continue paying their cleaners and not have them come in, so they
3: don't, you know, die. Oh, it's been wild. Every single one of these women who's getting mad at him is also a massive turf, which is very funny. Uh, Julie Bindle had the funniest possible take, which was, oh, that Owen Jones, I bet he just loves fucking watching pornography of women and paying <laughs> women to suck his dick and it's like well <laughs> not sure that's, not sure about this the one news about owen jones yeah, yeah interesting <laughs> the one person in england who did not know that owen jones was gay is just yeah. like it, it loudly declaring that this is proof of his misogyny
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, it's awesome t- i mean i think the thing you've got to remember though is with the turf columnists if they don't have their cleaner come in how are they going to check inside their pants
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. So it's they were they basically this has been twisted. to Owen Jones says it's it's great. Uh, Owen Jones can say or do anything, and legions and legions of people with columns. Um, uh, and, and this is not just limited limited people to column, please. Yeah, people with <laughs> column. Uh, this is not just limited <laughs> to like um the Janice Turners and Sarah Didums and stuff. Like everybody with a column. Well, basically, like I, they must have some special pair of glasses that where it turns everything he says into something just completely horrifying, because as soon as he said, maybe you should pay them to stay home, they were like, Oh, what you just think women belong doing the housework, Owen. And it's like, wait, <laughs> but who's, <laughs> but, who's wait, but if cleaning like is a job that is primarily like feminized labor and done by women, who do you think is doing the cleaning? And, mm. um, then Sarah, my favorite one and before because this is a quick news. hit. we're going to move on from it quickly. Uh, Sarah did him, uh, uh, uh basically, her her
3: husband Nathan Didham is a Minecraft YouTuber, and so she's <laughs>
2: amazing. And,
3: I've and she to, said, I'm "I'm so glad we found someone I can feel superior to as a podcaster." He cleaned the house parody in Minecraft. Yeah, <laughs> so he uh, and and she said, "You know,
2: I hey, oh, you think it's so easy? You just think I have to do all the work?" And it's like can't you can't your family just do it like have you are all columnists just married to like the sitcom dad from king of queens yeah, <laughs> they're no, all married he, to michael gove
3: he, no he's a neat he's like no mom i can't stop playing it it's online <laughs> <laughs> and so uh,
2: finally di- uh, it, she ended on the argument two things she was like no uh Besides, my cleaner likes to come and clean for me. She says it gives her a sense mm. of purpose. And it's like, oh, yeah, absolutely, Sarah. Oh, I'm man. sure that's exactly <laughs> it. We
3: have a subdom relationship. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, am, I am doing the Duke of Burgundy stuff or like yeah. uh, the, the mm-hmm. Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant with my cleaner. And I, that yeah. you will respect my DS polycule. Uh. (laughs) what it is is it's the great chain of being just repurposed for like you know columnists who live
2: in zone two (laughs) like no i naturally like i have a naturally ordained relationship by god with the person i pay minimum wage to clean my house because uh, no one in my house wants to do it and if i don't do that then um, if they don't come to clean my house, if I just give them a handout, then the feudal compact has been broken, um, and
3: they'll be left rudderless and directionless and listless. Mm, Matt, Matt Ridley was right. We are all French kings now.
2: The Matt Ridley.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> I, right. I was
0: just going to say that the DS Polycule was one of Nintendo's most controversial consoles.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, David, any 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 thoughts on um on this before we move on to the second quick news hit?
4: I just can't. I mean, it's worth stepping back and reflecting on how utterly depressing it is that we live in a world where there is a full class of people of column. I mean, we really, we're we're grasping grasping for entertainment here so much that we're focused on people that really do not belong even anywhere in the rearview mirror. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really, I, I just, yeah, not to introduce even more sadness into a sad moment, but God, Damn, man! Cannot believe so mad. Yeah, you're
3: so mad that you have to know who these people are. (laughs)
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. taking up
3: space in your brain that could be used for like learning how to garden or something. I don't
4: know if you saw this. You know, everyone's having these freaky dreams, and you know, no one really knows why. And National Geographic comes out with this with this piece that finally sets the mystery to rest, saying the reason why you're having crazy dreams is because the brain processes stimuli that you encounter during your day, and we're all stuck in lockdown. So what's happening is the brain's processing stimuli it already has. It's going back through your past and sifting through the memories that you already have. And the same thing applies for your Twitter feed. You know, you're like, I'm having dreams about people that are just, you know, little sort of anger sound bites popping up on my web page. And yet they're appearing in deep recesses of my brain because I just have Hmm. nothing else to populate it with. And it's really upsetting.
3: I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. I woke up with a phrase a uh, a scrivener involved battle being in my head this morning. So like, this is fine. I'm fine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you
2: know, uh, what I find most funny about this is again, like we and we again we stand by our TF promise. Uh, what I predicted that one of the one of the people yelling at Owen Jones just m- just willfully misunderstanding what he said because like. I don't know. He killed their father in a previous life or something. Like some kind of, yeah, of millennia course. old grudge. Um, hmm. Owen Jones, Jones is one the of the Hollander? last remaining. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like he exactly. got there first. Uh, so, what, but. <laughs> What that, that that and Julie Bindle or or Sarah Didham actually got a spectator article out of it, and so has made two hundred and fifty pounds performatively mis- misunderstanding Owen Jones. And my promise to you, the mm. listener, is you will never hear that article on this show because it is too fucking boring. The only reason we even talked about it right now is because Sarah Didham's wife is a Minecraft YouTuber, and she was like getting mad because well obviously i couldn't ask my idiot bore of a husband to clean the
3: house you just, just, just force femme nathan Desson by calling him his, uh, her wife uh, okay. M- misgendering the minecraft community another
2: uh, another quick hit is uh the daily mail published a headline um uh, basically attacking um uh, teachers unions for trying to ensure a safe return to school. Back to the 70s, militant unions. And it has said, Magnificent staff across the nation are desperate to help millions of children get back into the classroom, but militant unions are standing in their way. To them, the mail implores, let our teachers be heroes.
0: Damn the classic the classic conflict between teachers and the unions that represent teachers.
3: <laughs> An Age old yeah. story. I hate when militant unions come to my work and like slap the clipboard out of my hands well, and tell different. me that I'm yeah. not doing There's shit.
4: Something way, really profound here. I mean, I think that the, the the way that hero has just become synonymous with future dead person martyr. You, 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 martyr. Yeah. I mean, but ugh, not even not hard. Like you, you look at the way Trump was using it. You know, in a recent quote where he was talking about how Doctors and nurses are flinging the doors of their hospitals, running in like soldiers into bullets. you're just like, what are we do- what are we doing here <laughs> when, since when did our definition of heroism just require people to sacrifice themselves to this virus? It's very strange to me
2: well it's yeah. we only oh, the only uh, I, the only legitimate form of collective sacrifice or or working together or whatever that we've understood as a culture at this point is the troops and so the only, and so everything's a war because we're fighting an enemy and we're going to lose some of our people, but we are going to keep honoring them. And the thing is, the more we refuse to like just for some just culture war horse shit, uh, allow like allow the possibility of um, of working together for some collective goal other than struggle, um, we are going mm-hmm. to expand more and more and more spheres of people working in some, in social occupations like teachers or doctors and stuff to just become troops until we're a, a society of two classes. We are the, yeah, until exactly. be, until it's with the class composition of society style. changes to the troops who are represented by everyone who's constantly dying, yeah. like to keep the Eloy above them fed.
3: Yeah. I, l- I, l- I love to, to be, it. I love to be a, a, a Spartan helot because I'm not in the NHS. Uh-huh. Uh, I Riley, can't wait is to see people. Too? Yeah.
0: I can't wait to see people stealing valor as a teacher, just like you know, swanning into a restaurant and sitting backwards on a chair, telling you to call them by their first name, and then demanding a discount. And then they're like, "Uh, uh sir, you you did not serve in the teaching battalion. Uh, you 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 are wearing that tie incorrectly."
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, there we- is something just right, there is something just a little bit well, extremely perverse about just the nature of this virus. I mean, which is that like. Or the nature of the phenomenon of the pandemic, where most of us are inside enjoying little treats, and then many people are going out and being exposed to this virus and and dying as a result. Where like the relevant metric is of course going to be death, because on the opposite side, let's say when we flatten the curve or when there's a successful coronavirus response, there's no bang, there's no victory. You don't it's you can't declare anything. It doesn't feel you know emotively. It's tough to craft a narrative around that. And so mm. there's a kind of fatalistic tendency where like, the only way to measure the thing is in fatalities uh, and, because you can't measure the reverse in lives saved. And I think that, it, you know, it, it feeds on that general tendency towards the war analogy you were mentioning where like, we can only conceive of this thing in that fatalistic capacity because, you know, how else are we going under, to understand, understand ourselves and our own relationship to, to the pandemic other than, you know, I, I didn't die or I did die.
3: Yeah, I mean, we can talk about like the idea of the front as like a hermetically sealed environment, uh, as you know, the same as the hospice ward. You know, people people go in and then a lot of them don't come back out again. Um, yeah, but they did it for us, and they did it for the nation, yeah, and they did we, it to we'll, be a hero. We will be able to like raise a flag over the virus at some point. And so this,
2: uh, this just reminds uh, me, in fact, of, Umber- of Umberto Eco's definitions of fascism. I think yeah, the eleventh uh, point. Yeah, the eleventh point. Oh, come is, on. I know. Thank you, Valis. Uh Everybody is educated to become a hero because in ur-fascist ideology, heroism is the norm and the cult of heroism is strictly linked with the cult of death. So just something to process there in our response to the virus. Yeah. Sure. Anyway, I, I've you got to start up are moving
1: on? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe no, no, we just <laughs> i do something lighter.
2: I've got a start up for us to talk about. Uh, today, we are talking about Invisible AI. Invisible AI, huh? I'd like guesses from, uh, from uh, David first, and then uh, my two uh, beautiful co-hosts about what you think Invisible <laughs> AI does. Some.
4: What this General AI does? It, it uh, what is,
2: it's this startup is called Invisible AI. Mm. That's the name of the company. What do you believe this company does? It
4: washes your asshole.
3: <laughs> that's, u- that's a useful service now. like what, yeah, absolutely. non-Muslims: finally have hero. discovered the bidet, right?: <laughs> yeah.
2: All uh, it took Alice. was
3: a massive a massive shock to the toilet paper economy. <laughs> uh, Alice, hit me. Ooh, invisible AI. I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it sounds like we' found a way to make those Boston Dynamics robots more sinister, like and now they just have like fucking tentacles, and it's all taking a turn towards the hentai. Yeah, uh, Milo. Ooh.
0: Remind me the name of the startup again? Invisible AI. Invisible AI? Well, I mean, AI isn't normally <laughs> visible, insane, so this right? seems like a weird clarification to make. Um, Are you sure
3: you haven't just misread it, and it's not just Invisible owl?
0: <laughs> just a guy called <laughs> Owl who you can't see. You can call me yeah. Invisible Al. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, is
2: it like uh, uh, robot ghosts, somehow? Uh, Milo's the closest. Rogue, Rogue uh, ghosts. Of the three, yes. Milo is the closest, and you'll see how. So the first bit of the marketing uh, text I'm going to read to you has no blanks. Um, it merely says, quality products start with quality processes. Okay. Mm. So we're going to st- st- loop back around. David, what do you got? Quality products and quality processes. Okay. Judging by the utter banality,
4: and as Milo pointed out, the, the kind of tautology of uh, invisible AI. I'm, I, I want to double up on saying it's something really fucked up, really sinister. It
3: washes uh, your I'm, asshole but in a fucked up way. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, I, 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 <laughs> is it like a euthana- euthanasia? No, not that. Uh, well, it's... I think Marx would probably see it as a kind of euthanasia applied to the labor <laughs> process. Um, mm. But we'll... we'll I don't not literally know. Quality products start with quality processes. Suggest to me some kind of
3: nutrient oh, slurry. Oh, I know what it is. I know what oh, it is. It is. I, if, oh, if, 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 you, if you say that it's like euthanizing a labor process... It's, it's killing quality control, right? Like the, the guy who stands over the production line and makes sure that there aren't any like fucked up skittles going out. that are just like a, a six foot wide single skittle with an enormous thing on it. Like, really difficult I, to bowl in that scenario. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's uh, what it's replacing. So uh, Alice is f- so close to getting it right. Oh, God, um, what's the twist? There's going to be uh, some fucked up twist like it. Uh, it
2: so it's our AI enabled blanks. So our a- AI enabled you know, plural nouns track blank and blank. This is the uh, last one before I tell you what it is. Uh, David, start us off. Oh,
4: my God. Like, <laughs> oh, like is it like a productivity machine? Like it sort of tracks yes. your. Like, yes. You How often your no. eyes blink and your no. fingers uh, no. It's another Remember.
0: spying on your staff machine. Yes,
2: Milo's got it. No, oh, oh, every God. week. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> this is a different one. The one we did two weeks ago spies on what they're saying and thinking. Mm-hmm. This one spies mm. on what they're doing. Uh, so, okay, so it does include them going to the bathroom. Okay, we're all uh, linked together, and we all we all <laughs> we all. Yeah. Led by Eric Danziger, the CEO, Invisible AI offers a no-code, edge-based computer vision platform Im- embedded, <laughs> sorry, in AI, Im- embedded in AI cameras, which track body movements to improve and standardize manual assembly processes in manufacturing facilities. A, a, a
3: no-code AI. computer oh, vision solution. I can,
2: I can explain what that is. And there are two, because when you have a platform, it's something that you build applications on. Uh-huh. And quite often, a platform will be sort of like a, like a, a code standard or a code wrapper or whatever that you'd put some, that you'd code in. Uh-huh. However, in this case, a no-code platform allows you to build an application using um, like drag and drop or or what have you. So it's okay. a graph. Okay. It allows you. So it's it's not the final application. It allows you to build applications on it. Fine, but you don't all have right. to know how to code. That's so there all that is, that
0: there is. There is code. It's just hidden from you.
2: Mm. Yeah, exactly. Invisible, you, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is a camera that uh, what, like you put it in front of uh, workers who are working, and then it tracks all of their movements by like articulating along their elbows and wrists and so on, and their arms to to make sure that they're taking the most efficient paths between, uh, like. A box of bolts in a thing that they're putting a bolt onto. Ah,
3: I, I, this I love to very get a little horny shock. Technology. Yeah, I love to get a little shock and some electrodes somewhere when I like lean on some boxes. Yeah, do not lean, <laughs> citizen. <laughs>
2: um, the time it's of is bandwidth. over.
3: Just buy a fucking. <laughs> just equip all of your your stuff with posture collars. You are heading that way anyway.
0: Wait, all <laughs> do, they've just invented an AI deputy head teacher who comes around and goes, oh, yes. "The wall doesn't need your support."
2: <laughs> uh, so, well essentially like you know again we what what supervisory labor does is it's not real labor it's just a way to make the hyper exploitation of other labor more efficient so what you've basically done is you have automated supervisory labor Ah, um, oh, cool which we did which is already which is not a new thing either yeah, that's what man, happens at all the like, platforms. this is
4: forget the platforms
2: man this is This is like raw 19th century
4: Taylorism. I mean, this is not new stuff. We we wrote books about second-by-second production processes and how, you know, assembly lines Mm -hmm. need to be bolted down and divided into sub, 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 subdivided. You know, this is the farcical nature of this disgusting and humiliating moment we're at. We're not even confronting novel crises. We fucking had pandemics. We've had the same Taylorist impulse to kind of micromanage all the way down to hyper-exploit. You know, we've been through this. And now we're just doing it in a shittier, scarier, and more grotesque
3: way. Well, it's a little, it's a little unfashionable, right? Like the, for a while there, the way that we were going to eliminate supervisors was just by making you your supervisor.
0: I know I'm my own supervisor. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then I'm you're you're, you're doing two
3: jobs. You're like you're you're disciplining yourself according to like a supervisor of your super. No, anyway, like I, yeah, no. Now we've just taken a turn back to like the 1890s, and we're like, Why does this this steam powered foreman bot have the like the fucking like arc generator on the back of? It and like a shock baton it's being very robot wars if I at this point. Ask
4: that, I mean, does it, so you're the one who's looking at it, right? Like, does, does, yeah, it, yeah. How, does it come with an enforcement mechanism? Because it's also just creating room for more labor, right? Because let's yeah. say they're like, ooh, the elbow needs to twist at a 73 degree angle. Someone has to be there to choreograph that shit so, I mean, so, how can this thing can be helpful?
2: Yeah, I can like, tell you helpful is um, a very interesting word yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. let's say helpful for the purposes of labor <laughs> exploitation. <laughs> right. um, so because it's a platform they've said no we haven't we haven't built the actual application on it this is just the capability upon to which you build the application um so uh uh they for example you could say that it feeds into a little screen beside the production workers uh station that says you missed step 8 in the um in the production process uh so go back and do it or it Pick could say something cam, like citizen. yeah mm. or it could say something like um the it could uh, you could you could be told that the most efficient way to clip this gasket onto this half of the radiator is to like go in from above with your elbow and it would, it would, you'd feed that motion into it and it would track that motion and sort of tell you, you could actually probably do this more easily. Um, And again, this is one of these things where these technologies are not inherently good or bad. Right. And um, if this was used by say, uh, I don't know, a cooperative, then who just wanted to, who, who was like seeing the fruits of this, who wanted to avoid things like injury, I don't know. I could see this being like not super bad, especially if the workers themselves had a say in how it was used and what happened with the information, and so on and so on. Yeah, and like athletes and stuff already use technology
0: like this for like motion correction and whatever.
2: That's normal. And Mm -hmm. so you, but the fact is, because it's not going to be deployed in that kind of environment, it would be probably trivially easy to say for a boss to say what we've done, or another startup to say what we've done is we've taken the invisible AI platform and we've bolted onto it. A uh, haptic feedback system that shocks you if you yes. like. Yes, you know, mm. you know, matter of time. The problem oh, is, like, you could do that. You could do that very easily. We've hooked it up to Matilda from Robot Wars, who will stab your
0: ankles.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just a, yeah, just a little robot just ramming into your shins and like totally destroying them.
2: But like, here's Drake the great thing, Giles right? Just commentated
0: on the production line. Oh,
3: oh,
2: you're is, a, oh, you're a, a cheeky
0: robot! <laughs> That's
2: not what sounds like. <laughs> so, so basically, um, with a lot of these companies that look like they could be hyper hyper exploitative, and it's really obvious, the CEOs and um, st- and venture capitalists will like try and assuage those fears preemptively. We've seen mm. this a few times. So this is from. Um, oh no, that stands for the bar. The <laughs> this, this is from the prospectus of Sierra Ventures, uh, who invested along with several others. Their justification was that human involvement in manufacturing typically leads to errors, which are often not caught immediately and can cost human the manufacturer
3: Sorry, it was a human involved manufacturing. Sorry, oh, we're just by both fucking Skynet. <laughs> no they always do this. They always
2: say, "Oh well, when humans are involved, blah blah blah. Humans and AI will be coworkers." It it it
3: it just I love to repeat the like the the bit where the robots like take over the UN and the animatrix. Forever. Humans
0: with their weak and febrile flesh are unable to create <laughs> items with the efficiency of a machine. And,
3: and like the what? items that we're talking about here are, are the shit that you see on Wish.com. right? They're, <laughs> they're unable to create a pair of shoes with like a plastic fish in the heel. To be fair, Here's no human thing, can though. even come up with that idea. When, when, <laughs> whenever, whenever any of these
2: uh, companies say human, you always have to replace the word worker. And whenever they say something like manufacturer or company, they all just replace the word, that word with the word owner. So worker involvement leads to cost for the owners, which means we need to discipline the workers. And that's what, that's what they're saying. They're just trying to make it sound nice. So they said Invisible is working with manufacturers such as Toyota to catch errors as they occur and eventually prevent them through improving mm. and reinforcing assembly processes. Reinforcement is obviously not elaborated this upon. Is, this
3: is this is like the kind of shit that like p- you used to take like a huge bong rip in the 1920s and be like, man, they're turning the people into machines, man. They did they don't want you to like act totally robotically and like mm. never make any ma- But that's literally like explicitly what they're trying to do. Well, it's, yeah. sad.
4: It's, it's sad, especially because, you know, you mentioned Toyota there. <clears throat> and like Toyota, if you look at the case, like the, their Numi plant in California, these, they were famous for having this highly socialized production process where instead of it being one guy, one bolt, one guy, one bolt, one guy, one bolt, it was teams of workers who would go down the whole assembly line together. And then at the end of every day, you know, every week, they would have a performance review where they would look as a kind of workers council and say, how can we improve the production process to make it more efficient? and Feeding back into the overall design, you know, and, and you can do this. Uh, you know, and there are yeah. there's good literature to, to suggest that those kinds of socialist practices uh, are really efficient as well as being egalitarian. But there's ways to do this that don't rely on this really you know grotesque description uh, or, or sort of glossing over the dynamic of exploitation and can actually feed back in. And it's you know it's the kind of genus face nature of the technologies that we're just using them all for evil. Uh, And we don't have to design our production processes or our legal frameworks to enable that. Mm. Yeah, one of the
0: really surprising twists of the last 50 years of the 20th century was the Japanese turning out to have a real passion for, like, good, compassionate working
3: environment. (laughs) I mean, Uh, once again, shout out to the Japanese Red Army for, like, pushing that along a little bit. Oh, Mm. yeah. If
2: if we could talk about the history of organized labor in the Communist Party of Japan and, like, making a lot of this stuff happen. But uh, so from the assembly line operator's standpoint, the, the, the venture capitalist goes on, they're often blamed for mistakes they didn't make and don't receive recognition for being error free. Again, this is just a technical, a technical thing, of course, where uh, workers are blamed for mistakes they didn't make and don't, don't get recognition for doing their job well. This is obviously mm. a technical problem to be solved with a technical solution, not a political problem, huh. So Invisible Solution actually puts operators in the driver's seat, providing them with more visibility into areas they're excelling at and areas in which they can improve. Again, you know, the driver's seat where someone else tells you exactly what to do yeah. and how to get where you are. It's basically is just the- turning you into, an uh, again, and it is
3: turning you into essentially a part of the machine. The, the Soviet Union, but worse and more expensive. So like at some point, you just like you move your arm in the right series of predetermined motions and a little like 3D printer spits out an order of labor. <laughs> Children
0: getting their hands stuck in the steam loom is a problem as old as manufacturing itself.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 love, I love to like be rewarded by like having like a complete copy of like w- what's the capitalist equivalent of like the collected works of Lenin, just like given to me as, as Nineteen Eighty Four.
4: Co- yeah, <laughs> like an Amazon gift card.
3: Yeah, yeah. completely. <laughs> yeah. The Pezos Jeff Box.
0: <laughs> yeah, that call
3: I, 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 I get a little token amount of Jeff Bucks for my like uh, my heroic labor, which has been recognized. Um, so here I have a few more quotes
2: from the CEO, and then we're going to go on. So uh, this is from an, a TechCrunch interview. It says well, the, uh, the article <laughs> says
3: TechCrunch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, TechCrunch. Uh, it's just my accent. Obviously, right at the outset, this sounds like the kind of thing that results in pitiless computer o- overseer um, that punishes workers every time they fall below an artificial and constantly rising standard. And they could but- have stopped there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but CEO and co-founder Eric Danziger was pleased to explain He's that like, this no, isn't no, the idea not like at, all. at all.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no,
2: no. The most important parts of this product are for the operators themselves, because this is skilled labor and they have a lot of pride in their work. They're the ones in the trenches, so they're troops too, and doing back the to work. The cleaners again. It, it gives catch- them purpose and meaning. They're the ones c- catching and correcting mistakes is a big part of it. So really they just want to perform this set of movements as efficiently as they can and mm. then take some of what they make. Don't ask where the rest of it goes. Nice. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's just like it's like breakdancing. Yeah,
3: hmm. um, well, what, what, while our product does contain the taser features, we would expect that like they will be used very sparingly next to the like uh, good worker button.
0: Oh my god, we are literally, I, I reckon, less than a year away from a company trying to turn their production line into a TikTok dance to encourage people to do it. Better.
3: <laughs> stop no, it! I'm, no, I'm, stop I'm, it! I'm still into Put the, the DS down, thing. like, yeah, step away from the lathe. No, the, we we are like, we're, we're two steps away from just like the drone floating overhead giving you head pads for doing a good job. It's <laughs> like cool. Um,
2: it's, uh, it's easy to imagine a system, uh, a version of this system where, like in Amazon's warehouses, uh, workers are pushed to meet nearly in human quotas, blah, blah, blah. But Danziger says that a more likely outcome based on anecdotes from companies he's worked with already. <laughs> You know, so bosses mm. tell me that
3: they're not abusing it at all. Don't Watch worry. What's our best kind of evidence? Anecdotal. SMF <laughs> <laughs> got anecdotes. It, yeah. Is that, he,
4: really, yeah, I think it is really interesting that, uh, you know, our, the overriding anxiety, if you think back to like the early 2000s, the overriding anxiety was like, we were getting sluggish and fat and we were not moving at all. And the whole kind of exercise of the, let's say, the kind of, you know, third wayist social democracy was to get us to be more active. You know, because the concern was that we were all becoming these kind of office monkeys, and now we're really, we're staring down the barrel of like everyone being going back to the factory. You know, it's like, and we're talking about these the, the, the hottest startups are the ones that help you discipline your workers. I mean, it's so unbelievably nostalgic for uh, a, a economy, an industrial production system that we thought we'd left behind completely. It's amazing to see it return in full force, and for Amazon warehouses to become. The, the primary site of exploitation, not this tertiary kind of abstract form of labor where we're mostly concerned about people's nutrition.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he, in fact, this is, uh, David, this uh, you might, you might as well have uh, prefigured this next bit, but I know you haven't, cause you haven't actually seen it. Um, Having built mm. a product day in and day out, year after year, uh, it, production workers are have deep and highly specific knowledge of how to do it right. But that knowledge can be difficult to pass on formally. So hold the piece like this when you bolt it; bolt it, or your elbow will get in the way. is easy to say in training, but it's not so easy to make prac- standard practice. Invisible AI's posture and position detection could help with that. We are essentially trying to use a no-code AI ca- camera platform to kind of recreate a grand manufacturing tradition that we haven't had for 50 years. I love to work at the dick sucking factory where Clippy the paperclip tells me what angle to have my jaw at for maximum efficiency. But <laughs> it's so funny here as they said he says, like any compelling new technology, the possibilities for abuse are there, but unlike ClearView AI, this platform is not built for Ooh, abuse. So that's good to know. It's not built
1: for abuse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: the, the, the abuse
0: at is Dungeon Incorporated, <laughs> Would like to clarify. <laughs>
2: It's a fine line. It definitely reflects the companies it's deployed in, said Danziger. The companies we interact with really value their employees and want them to be as respected and engaged in the process as possible. Okay, then eliminate management. Just let them own it. This helps them with that. You know, this helps them by... I'm tracking their movements and uh, ensuring that they do the optimal movement the same every time. And don't mm-hmm. worry, we won't be a cl- attaching a shock collar to this. However, I'd like to emphasize that it is possible to attach a shock collar to this. <laughs> when all the workers are moving in perfect synchronicity, then
0: they will open a portal to hell. I mean, greater <laughs> efficiency in the workplace.
3: <laughs> I mean, I David, really, you have got me thinking about, like, manufacturing. I, I, I worry the extent to which, like we have been like, oh man, it'd be nice if manufacturing came back as as like a sector and then like the monkeys paw curled and oh, we just yeah. had, yeah. And and so we're back to the steam loom, you know, wow. the, are, are those our only options? Mm. Yeah.
2: Uh, 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 David, what do you, what do you think?
4: <laughs> well, look, I want to go and uh, we could go down a long, we we'll have a much longer conversation about, you know, not just the, the the right politics of this, which are to sort of heighten the exploitation, deepen the exploitation, make it ever more efficient, like we're talking about, but what it meant to be talking about build it in Britain. I mean, there is, we are staring down. So, you know, you, I think you make a joke, Alice, but we're going to be de-globalizing in ways that...
3: Oh, no, no, no. I, I absolutely was not. This is, like, my, my thinking about the coronavirus and then our, like, incipient climate disaster is that at some point we're going to have to start building stuff domestically or starve. My question is, like, I, I was expecting a less abrupt transition mm. for between... Yeah, yeah uh just uh, w- we all work in a we work and we all work in a we work that is now converted into hitting a girder with a big hammer yeah my
0: tattoo is german for the globalizing
4: <laughs> so much of the exploitation was out of sight out of mind for so long mm-hmm. and you know there's a certain i don't want to paint this in, in a positive light but i think there's a certain confrontation that's coming between, okay, we're going to reshore, we're going to bring, you know, re- bring those jobs back, we're going to build it in Britain, we're going to bring those jobs back to uh, countries in the industrialized West that haven't had them for a long time. But there's a big battle that's going to have to go down in terms of being like, oh, that's what these jobs were like. We had forgotten that they were grueling and ground life expectancy down to a, you know, a minimum and you know, encourage us all to, to, to smoke until we're dead. <laughs> And, oh. um, and you know, the, the, the silver lining would be, okay, that can be the groundwork for a fundamental, a fundamental reevaluation of the kind of standards of labor domestically and around the world. But I just think we haven't thought enough about what Manufacturing looks like because it hasn't oh. been anywhere. No, I agree. In, in yeah. so long. I agree completely. And I think there's,
3: there's, right, there's two ways that you can like you can kind of like disavow this. You can do the Maoist third worldist thing of be like, well, if this is where the class struggle is happening, then it's those workers' problem, right? We don't really have to think about it because we're the imperial core and we're hopeless. And I, I admit there is some justification to thinking that last bit. Uh, or well, that, you that's can, in the Don Draper form of like left internationalism, yeah. which is admit what a piece of shit you are and then carry. Being a piece exactly. Of exactly. Or, or <laughs> you can do. You can do People's Republic of Walmart, right? And you can say, yes, these globalized supply chains are very exploitative and very bad. But I do like the products of them. So what if we made them nice?
0: Uh, <laughs> now, and I now don't a think I ref- in my head, which is just startup guy Don
3: Draper. it yeah. <laughs> well, is draper. just Don Draper. Get, yeah. <laughs> Like so, uh, no, no, this is this is yeah. I, I I don't think either of those really anticipated just how limited the lifespan of offshoring and globalization would be, uh, and how quickly it sort of brought about its own demise. Right, and I, mm-hmm. I I the coronavirus being like the really obvious like the trigger for that, but like we've been we've been seeing this come up for years and years, and I don't think anyone on the left really took that process like seriously enough
2: like the satanic Mm. mills, like they don't stop being satanic. No, like they, they, we've just, we've moved the We've outsourced. We've moved the hell away. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, well, I think production. also like in the meantime
0: like our, our working culture has moved on a bit like not enough I mean if you look at the kind of manufacturing that there is in say Britain at the moment it's like primarily quite high tech and I think like the working conditions aren't that bad I mean I'm sure they could be improved but they're nothing like working conditions in say the average factory in like China or Southeast Asia or whatever yeah where right, we've right. moved but, all these exploitative practices yeah.
4: well okay if you want to be more specific about it you've got to look at kind of like who has outsourced who has deindustrialized fastest so let's just take these two models there's a coordinated market economy of a Germany and it's a liberal market economy of a Britain, right? There's a shitload of manufacturing that happens in Germany, but it happens on much better terms. You know, it's much more coordinated. Mm. You've got robust systems of apprenticeship, uh, really decent wages. You've got a, a nice you know, career set out for you as an apprentice where you're going to move into this trade and be involved in production. Uh, and what that meant is they grappled with those questions of what manufacturing is and was going to be, and they looked them in the face, and I don't want to gloss over quite complex political economic histories, but they arrived at some kind of tripartite settlement between the state employers and employees where it was going to work. Now, the liberal market economies, namely the Anglos, they just were like, you know what, fuck it. Those guys can do it better over there what cheaper labor. We're going to export the hell out of it. So what, it, what that means, I think I disagree with you, Milo, where when that stuff comes back, it's not like we've sorted those questions out. We've had those tripartite negotiations where we have a settlement and we can Germanize quickly. It's going to be those same practices that were highly exploitative when they were, when they were in Britain that we sent yeah. elsewhere and they're going to come back, I think just as bad. So we'll have yeah, to we'll, have that conversation. We'll see,
3: yeah. We'll hmm. see, we'll see the groundwork for uh, the like destruction of labor law as we currently understand it in the UK pretty I mean, much now. It's, yeah. it was, it's already happening. Uh, so- and so uh, that's, that's going to happen. Uh, but I also want to say really quickly hmm. before we move on is that the German, the German ideal also, I think we all recognize not ideal. Having, having like the workers have two seats on the board yeah. is a hell of a lot better than none, but it's uh, like 80% fewer than they should be having. Yeah. cross right? uh, over, you know, Germany relies on yeah.
4: extremely cheap labor in Hungary that basically feeds his entire industrial model of like, the same unit costing yeah. like 5 cents in Hungary and then 50, you know, $5 in Germany so they can massively amplify their value add. So there's lots of fucked up stuff there. I just mean we're in a way, way more primitive position in the Anglo countries. Mm.
2: I don't know. Hungary is a pretty normal country. I can't see anything bad happening there. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're... Uh, it's very good that we're talking about Germany now because I'd like to shift gears a little bit um, from the... Uh, let's say from the uh, purely... From the political economic to the political economic. Um, <laughs> where there have been this constellation of uh responses to the coronavirus pandemic that have been discussed to death including on this show um and they have happened at a UK level which we've talked about uh relatively frequently they've also happened with the European Union which we've also t- which we have talked about less frequently and it's interesting to point out where those approaches have diverged and where they've converged and what the two visions of the future are, which I think are more similar than they are different. Um, so, uh, David, I've, got, I've, I've grabbed a couple of articles that you've written uh, on this subject on what the European Union has done uh, at a, at, at a supranational level and how the diplomacy between the borrower countries in the South, Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain, and the Frugal Four up North, which is uh, Netherlands, Germany, Finland, and well, who's the fourth Frugal Four?
4: Uh, the yeah. fang, fangs, Finland, Austria, Germany, and yeah. uh, the Netherlands.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we, um, we, we, we're, we're the it's, it's a, it has a combination of an institutional problem and then a diplomatic problem between like these two groups of countries. So uh, I'm going to start with one of your um, some quotes from one of your articles about how Europe, coming into this crisis, was politically very confident, but in every meaningful respect on very shaky ground. Uh, You write that the recovery measures introduced in the last crisis barely staunched the bleeding, the last crisis being the sovereign debt crisis. By 2019, youth unemployment in Italy, Spain, and Greece was still at over 30%. And COVID-19 had ripped the plaster off to reveal the carnage underneath. So give us a little context. What are we... Europe entering coronavirus? I think it's helpful... How are we doing?
4: Yeah, I think it's helpful to start the story in May 2019. So in May 2019... We had this great experiment of the European Union elections. This is when, you know, millions and millions of people turn out to vote for their members of the European Parliament. A broadly symbolic body, but it still has a big influence over the direction uh, of the European Union institutions in Brussels, Strasbourg, and, and Frankfurt. Um, <clears throat> in 2019, you know, it was taken as a, as a big victory for the, uh, let's call them the, the pro European establishment. Uh, there was a big uptick in uh, turnout, voter turnout, a historic uptick, I think of 11% from 50 something to I think to 60 uh, in these elections. And it was seen as a huge vote of confidence in the European project. And, um, and it was matched by a lot of uh, by these sort of annual surveys like the Eurobarometer that really reflected that, not least because Brexit at the time was such a rank disaster. It looked so costly and so complex to leave the European Union. That really fortified public opinion around the value of sticking together. And that married with a narrative of triumph over the crisis that had dominated the Eurozone and the European Union more broadly since 2010 and certainly since 2012. Um, and gave a, a fresh confidence to the sort of technocratic uh, elite in Brussels to speak with a lot of bravado and confidence about their continent. This is when you see the emergence of. of programs like the Green Deal that we discussed last time I was on the show, uh, saying really confident pronouncements, Europe is, you know, we're doing a man on the moon, Europe's going to be the first decarbonized continent. And they're speaking in this language, uh, you know, of, of, and presenting Europe as being a kind of, not just a pioneer in policy terms, but as a truly integrated, uh, co- you know, continent. And they, I think they really got used to speaking that way. If you fast forward a few months, not so long from there. We are right back, right back 10 years ago. And the reason we're right back 10 years ago, as you mentioned, you know, you to the piece that I published with a, with a London Review of Books, is because the measures that were introduced 10 years ago were what we call a Merkel fudge. We call it a Merkel fudge because this is what Angela Merkel, the chancellor of Germany, is brilliant at, truly a, a maestra that one has to appreciate.
3: In- I thought she was a, a big time communist, Stalinist, a fascist like uh, eu irredentist who she, was like she, incredibly dangerous., well,
4: that's the whole point. She's a Rorschach test. I mean, people really do see what they're going to see with this wonderful uh, steely chemist. And what she did there, you'll remember when the Greek situation is okay, she basically was able to find uh, this fudge, this compromise point while still pushing through horrendous austerity measures, but finding some political compromise that could essentially defang uh, the series of government and their allies across the pigs countries you mentioned, you know, the Spain, uh, Portugal, and Italy in particular, and setting
3: the pigs is just a little bit the on the pigs.
4: nose. Know, yeah. I mean, like, the you know, fucking hogs countries. Gips, you can mm. you can rearrange those those letters however you like. Uh, they uh, and so there was this kind of political settlement, but there was no economic settlement. And if you look over the course of the last ten years, there has been net zero public investment in the eurozone over ten years. You know, 10 years when when Europe was supposed to be taking seriously things like the green transition, things like investing in the future, in building its own European Facebook and Google, there's just been no public. Mm. public. Okay, so this COVID pandemic hits, and as it's doing everywhere, it's just ripping at the seams of integration, right? We talked a bit about already on the podcast about the the kind of impulse toward deglobalization. That's already happening in this highly integrated zone uh, known as Europe. And so you end up right back 10 years ago where you know you, different countries are being hit at different times. You saw Italy was first, where I'm speaking from now. Spain came later and ultimately had even a bigger impact in Spain. Other countries were better prepared. And that stuff was all being filtered through the decisions that were made 10 years ago. So your fiscal absorption capacity, as it's known, essentially how throttled you were by austerity and forced to cough up increasing amounts of money while also drowning in debt, You know that's going to determine how robust your response was going to be to the pandemic. So it amplified actually existing inequalities and just wrecked and ripped apart Europe, and that was you know piece one. We can get into kind of how it's unfolded since then, but yeah.
2: I think the theme that we always keep coming back to is that if you think the coronavirus imposed these costs in a new way, or is in any, or, or has or has created economic and social crises, then I've got a bridge to sell you because all of these right. things existed before. What I'm reminded of is last summer, uh, people seem to forget this, but. Um, a record number of people died in Greek wildfires because the Germans basically closed down all of their fire departments. Cool.
0: (laughs) The profligate Greeks with that fire
2: department.
3: (laughs) Look, a fire department is uh, just an unreasonable expense. You spend all Mm. of this money on a a big red truck, and then most of the time, nothing's on fire, and you don't even go anywhere in it. That's wildly (laughs) irresponsible. Don't even call it so (laughs)
2: so i've got um i've got another quote in fact that uh from from ursula von der leyen oh Um, yeah big friend of the show yeah friend of the show ursula von der leyen um (laughs) where which i think really gives the uh um in fact i'm going to do the the quote from von der leyen and then i'm going to do some numbers uh so von der leyen said this is the european way we are ambitious and we leave nobody behind this is what uh, she said, uh, Greek uh, firemen.
3: <laughs> yeah, is, Greek firemen and anyone who's like face down on a beach in the med. Is,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. we leave those people. We don't leave anyone behind who is a net payer into the system. Uh-huh. Uh, we need to rediscover the power of cooperation, she told Wef in Davos this year, based oh, on just, fairness and mutual respect. This, this is, is what is I, why call I hate the geopolitics, fucking EU. Sorry, This is what I call the geopolitics of mutual interests. And this is what Europe stands for now. The European Union response to coronavirus has uh, included many different expenditures of money and cre- creations of uh, of financial and fiscal instruments. And I've got two to compare for you right now, in light of what Ursula von der Leyen has said
3: about no child left behind or whatever.
2: Eight hundred million euros went. Yeah, no, no, no firefighter left behind. Eight hundred uh-huh. million euros has gone into a solidarity fund, uh, which is essentially to <laughs> just pay out like people in 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 italy who need it right
3: one coronavirus recovery michael what could it cost ten dollars
2: and for that might sound like quite a bit but just remember that like i don't know it's less than than those eurocrats stealing pens every year (laughs) britain has britain has now spent some like Tens of billions just on its like furlough scheme and business support scheme, not to mention other things. So oh, yeah. You're paying million. like a
3: week's wages for yeah. one city. Yeah.
2: yeah. This is going to like, yeah, this is going to like help out Palermo for like a month. And it, that's it. Now, that's people 800 keep talking million about euros. how much
0: money the furlough is costing sorry just on an aside and i keep losing my mind they're like oh it's costing 10 billion a week it's like okay so it would cost like i don't know like what like 500 billion a year which is like still less than like the uk spends annually for like the entire country to not collapse yeah it's
3: like a, what, ha, measure measure hold the on, furlough on, scheme on. in f-35s for me uh, so yeah. 800
2: million euros for the solidarity fund which actually does something One hundred and sixty-four million for startups who are coming up with innovative solutions to tackle COVID nineteen
3: podcasting subsidy. (laughs) Nice, David. It's the Green Deal again, but for COVID. I'm just doing some quick numbers here. Uh, What is okay?
4: What is the GDP? What is Europe's GDP? I'm trying to remember Uh, European.
3: Uh Well, I mean, now eighteen point eight trillion US dollars. Well, well, while you do while you do that math, I will get my rant out of the way, which is the reason why I hate the fucking EU so much. Is because plenty of plenty of political institutions could have fucked up a recovery like this. Plenty of them could have fucked up a response like this. Very very few of them would do this kind of bullshit fucking homily about how we're closer together and how we're all friends as we're just like just throwing money into Frontex quick update on the numbers here hmm. that solidarity
4: fund is 0.04% of the European Union's GDP I want to repeat that 0.04% of the European Union's GDP they're dedicating to an unprecedented health and economic crisis that we've never mm. before. Sounds yeah. good. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we can get into the weeds a bit more about kind of what exactly transpired. We had a really big month last month in April. It was just a total, a total explosion where I mentioned, you know, all these things were kind of filtering in and the old wounds were being ripped open. And we were seeing a lot of the diplomatic flare-ups, as you mentioned, Riley, that dominated mm-hmm. the headlines before. And out of that, there was a call for these things called the Corona Bonds for a type of mutualization of debt to be technical about it. The idea was like, look, the Eurozone, we all share the same currency, right? You cannot imagine more fertile ground for a politics of solidarity than being like, oh yeah, if you're fucked, I'm also fucked. We literally have the same paper money in our hands. Mm -hmm. Uh, So people were like, okay, listen, why don't we team up and we'll generate money together and through the power of unity, we can issue these bonds. That investors are going to like and trust because they bring us all together. And we can that, we can, Euro Avengers. <laughs> we Euro Avengers style, and we can use all that money. You know, you, you can talk about the, the, the amounts, but way more than eight hundred million. It's something you know, more like thirty billion. Immediately, you could spend that money. Uh, you know, according to need. You know, and everyone could, you, could be totally happy uh, about it. And so this was being pushed by the Italians. We mm-hmm. were being pushed by the Spaniards, and we got further. We I speak with a quite royal, we. That proposal got further than any proposal for a similar sort of mutualization scheme. So far, you know, nine Eurozone countries, including the French, including the nasty French, whose primary anxiety is looking Italian, even the French. <laughs> <laughs> like France you know, terrible. Teamed up and, and, and co-signed this, this uh, however cynically, co-signed this proposal. And then it came to, you know, game time came and they threw the proposal down. And, you know, guess, mm. you can just guess what happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I remember just, in this section of the notes, there being an absolutely incredible Dutch oh, name.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I triple underlined
2: this. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah that's, that's how uh, racists indicate the Dutch. Um, <laughs> so, no, this is, the, this is pure, pure season three stuff, right? Um, so this is a quote from your article. Uh, to the Italian finance minister, Roberto Galtieri, who I'll be referring to as Polly Galtieri for the balance of this show, <laughs> uh, the, um, he, he believes that uh, Corona bonds are still on the table after the meeting of the Eurogroup um, agreed to create, quote, innovative instruments consistent with EU treaties in order to fund the Eurozone's economic recovery. Uh, so Pauly Galtieri is like, uh, yeah, Corona bonds are still on the table. Uh, to whereas to Dutch finance minister, Wupke Hoekstra... <laughs>
0: Former
3: Honkball
0: to class A professional
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Fucking wompty Dompty Dumbass dumb Fucking <laughs> 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 Yeeps Von der Busten Says some Opinions
1: About
2: Whoopke
3: <laughs> Hoopstra <laughs> It means Nothing of the Sort
2: Shortly after The meeting He said He was not Okay with Corona Bonds Was never Okay with It and Never will Be And so The can yeah, You have to Do it in The Dutch the Accent I was never okay, okay with, with it. it. I love gold. <laughs> well, that's the thing, tropes. though. The Dutch, the Dutch have created this Dutch, like, like tropes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the Dutch have created creative created like, is anti-Dutch stereotype. <laughs> the Dutch have created this tax haven in their cu- in, in their country where like any uh, where ev- any European f- any firm b- has a strong incentive to like headquarter a domicile themselves in the Netherlands, so they have to pay like you know twenty euros and some waffles and tax. Yeah, and Free shoe then, polish. Then, hey, then you want to hear people. something funny
3: what before he joined the government Hoekstra was a partner with the consultancy firm McKinsey oh,
4: yeah. hey. Hey. you guys really you guys should really see my mentions I mean the Dutch and I have become very close over the past four <laughs> months uh, with the publication of these articles and the kind of crusade that we've we've led against them I must say I didn't realize what the Netherlands was which is like a hmm. kind of goblin America. I mean, mm. <laughs> uh, it was an amazing video that came out like a week and a half ago of some, I think trucker. who was just like, so Mark Rutte, who's the PM of, of the Netherlands, who's a real piece of work. Um, this this super polished guy, you know, rides his bicycle around Amsterdam, stuff like that. He was yeah, it's a particular and- kind of
0: polish that you might
4: be familiar <laughs> <Yeah>. with. <laughs> he was yeah. walking, walking around this, and this trucker was sort of like, hey, don't give any fucking money to those Italians and those uh, Spaniards, eh? And Mario was like, yep, ah, uh, yep. and gave him like a big thumbs up and started walking away. You are like, man, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's
0: like, like, this a complete country. injury. On the subject of amazing cursed Vox Pops, uh, last night there was a segment on uh, the news about Pennsylvania, and there was a Trump-supporting owner of a bowling alley who was like, you know what, people might die, but we have to reopen
3: the bowling alley. <laughs> 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 like,
2: people I mean, gotta bowl, guy, the American way. There was that guy he- who
3: bowled the perfect game on 9-11. Yes, yeah, exactly. oh, yeah. he needs awesome. to, He got us out of that crisis. He'll get us out of this one. Yeah. There but, are just
0: um, two pins left standing at the end in a total <laughs> split,
2: <laughs> and he's just like Bismillah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, like, I think you can apply the logic of the bowling alley owner saying "Sorry, people have to bowl" to this, where it's like, "Yep, sorry, um, I'm just I'm afraid that I cannot I cannot bear the idea that a small percentage of a small percentage of my of my tax money." will go to making sure that people I force to share a currency with me so I don't allow them to print their way out of crises don't get killed by a completely preventable pandemic mm-hmm. um, and that's pure season three stuff because in 2008 Italy had a welfare state for Germany and the Netherlands to cannibalize what do they have left in order One to like fire truck yeah <laughs> collateral yeah. in order to like credibly in the eyes of the Germans and the Dutch uh, receive support so again, they don't like become anarchy.
3: Mm. You ha- you have to do cuts, uh, and like if people protest, then you have to brutally repress those people. Uh, and yeah, what what is there left to cut? Well,
4: so let's let, I mean let's be a bit clear about how the the response is actually going to get financed. So basically, the refusal for the Corona bonds proposal, and I think I botched the numbers that Eight hundred million. I think it's actually like a full order of magnitude, like three zeros less than that. I think it might be like a, just really 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 small because I don't think that. It's yeah, I missed the million to trillion jump. So how are they going to get the money? The way they're going to get the money is that national governments are free to, to, to raise the money and to spend the money themselves. Now, as you'll remember, the European Union has these very rigid treaties, like the Maastricht Treaty that basically has a stability and growth pact that says you can only have this much debt, basically. Unless, well, of course, your friends in
2: Germany, in which case you can just do whatever you want and never get punished under the terms of the SGP.
4: So they, they basically, suspend, no, they basically they suspended the SGP and they basically said, these are extraordinary circumstances and national governments should feel free. Now, we can also go into a longer conversation about what happened with when, when, when this first kicked off. Uh, just to speak to the kind of idiocy of the technocrats uh, in, in, uh, well, in Frankfurt and Brussels, when this was first starting to happen, uh, the pandemic was first hitting, especially the south of Europe first. Um, you know, Christine Lagarde, head of the ECB, gave a, a, just a Hall of Fame speech where she basically said, it is not our job to close spreads. It is not the job of the fucking central bank of Europe to make sure that, you know, it's the member states uh, are not being slammed by, by the markets to, you know, help them out and make sure that, that the spreads, their, their bond yields are roughly equivalent. And they just went, the markets were fucking crazy. And then she had to retract it, which was just a remarkable moment. But back to what is actually going to happen. What's going to happen is these countries are going to spend, 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 because they have no choice. They have to be covering people's wages while they're stuck at home. They have to be investing in public health infrastructure. They just have to spend a lot of money. I, the, I really love,
0: said, I love how partridge that is. Sorry, I just, like, I, I actually think it is our job to close spreads, d- despite what I said earlier. Yeah,
4: they, it, was, <laughs> it was like that. And a tweet is just, I mean, to t- tweet it, it was it's like it's one of those things where you read and you are like, that will be in a textbook. I just Trump vibes of that. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's a, a very good point to note that for all its sterling reputation as a sort of technocratic bastion, these people are often just as idiotic as the most kind of loony right wing populists. But I digress. The point is, is that. The Merkel fudge that they have gone with now, the Merkel fudge 2.0, is that uh, the SPD in Germany, the, the, the finance minister Olaf Scholz has basically said, we're not going to do corona bonds, uh, but everyone should feel free to spend as much as they want. We're n-, he said literally, we will not send you the troika. He actually <laughs> used the phrase, he used the phrase mm. you know, we used to use, he admitted, this is not even 10 years down the, down the road, we use torture techniques against the Greeks and we won't do it again. So feel free to spend your money,
0: <laughs> and also we did austerity after two thousand and eight.
4: <laughs> so so, uh, so then so they're, they're going to spend, 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 but only you know you have to be so naive to think of what's not going to happen next. What's going to happen next is from these massively inflated debt levels. Surprise, surprise! The Germans and their allies and the European institutions are going to say. Hey, we've got to surveil your finances now. You know, for, I mean, you should know that your commission has a fiscal surveillance team already set up. That's kind of their purpose. But sorry, we're going to have to send our teams down there. It's not the troika. It's
3: not the troika. It's just a different. It's just a team of. It's a support. Team. Yeah, it just has three guys. Yeah, Don't yeah, worry it's about a three-pronged it. Three pronged team. Yeah. 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 It's a triumvirate this time.
0: <laughs> a, a, a trident of men.
4: But if you think, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this applies just as much to the UK as it does to continental Europe. If you think that this is not wind in the sails of an austerity 2.0, you know, that, there's, that they're not going to turn around now that they've successfully staved off the drive towards a Corona bond approach where debt and risk is actually neutralized. They're not going to turn around and be like, Italy, you're on your own. We're going to come down on you so hard and you have to slash those finances to become fiscally sustainable or in the context of the pandemic, fiscally resilient. So that if we get another yeah. pandemic, you'll have some Fiscal absorption capacity, like we had as Germans, to spend on preparedness.
3: That's yeah. that, that's oh, kind of what I'd like to what I'd like to talk about to bring us into like our, our last second is austerity and ideological austerity. And my question to open that up to you, David, is why? Like, is there anything other than just pure ideology underpinning doing more austerity? A thing which nobody really wants to do in and of itself. It's just like the only lever that like this generation of politicians. Has. i
0: think was it's an impression so, of zizek if yeah, you
3: did cope yeah, uh, just for clarity
4: i think it's a self-reinforcing thing uh if you look at the way it's played out i don't you know uh, austerity has always been a kind of suicidal economic approach and the, the economic evidence has always been there to show just how it creates these doom loops uh where you are being forced to fork over more money and as a result you're suffering economically etc etc the problem is that uh We've shifted away from that strong economic logic. Austerity will not work to drive economic recovery. To actually a stronger empirical hand for the Germans, for the so-called Fangs, or for these creditor countries, where they can they can I I hasten to, to add, I don't mean this seriously, but they can kind of credibly say the reason why we were able to respond so effectively to the coronavirus, both economically and in terms of health, is because we had more fiscal absorption capacity, because we had We were more responsible with our finances. The reason why it was such a fracasso in places like Spain and Italy is because you guys were fiscally irresponsible. Now, the Greeks Mm. managed to pull something off that might throw a wrench into that story. But for the time being, it looks a lot like the Germans can come to the table and and try to make the case. This isn't just a question of, you know, we're not talking in the language of sinners. You didn't, you know, it's not corruption. We're just saying you got to be prepared. And so... It's a, it's, we've moved to an, an even more, even high, it's like we're, the boss just keeps getting bigger in terms of how you kind of slay the austerity myth. And it it's going to become even more challenging to mount a, a defense of public spending uh from that political position that we're in now. And it's going to be especially hard because, as you, you know, there's not a rise so far, there's not a glimmer of a left populist or a powerful left popular movement to challenge that. I mean, we're, we're running a big risk of letting that narrative really sink in and Germany flying its flag as being the chief kind of success story. And if we let them do that, and we don't point out the ways in which, as you guys pointed out before, austerity laid the framework, laid the groundwork, rather, for the pandemic to ravage Southern Europe. If we don't challenge that narrative now, I think we run a huge risk of, of them, you know, basically winning that ideological battle before we have even started the, the war.
2: Yeah, well, it's like um, in the UK, right? We said, um, "All right, we're going to turn off. We're going to try to turn off austerity. We're going to try to stand up hospitals. We're going to try to buy ventilators. Spend, spend, spend." But then you get run into the problem that having saved up a bunch of money doesn't let you respond to a crisis because these things aren't perfectly fungible. And so I think the idea that Greece, uh, I think you could immediately uh, Greece sorry, you could immediately think right, the idea that Germany was able to respond to this crisis well because it just had a big bank account. Misses the fact that actually what Germany has is, is and, and all the frugal countries have, in fact, is they're only frugal when it comes to like, you know, other other European countries. They're, they actually mm. do have investment. They have high levels. They have high levels of, of investment for across the board and, and manufacturing,
3: as we talked about yeah, earlier, like and, the, the, and the, the, you make masks in three places in the world, China, the U.S., sort of and Germany. Yeah, so.
2: But I think the other thing I think, right, is that systems are always. The purpose of a system is always what it does. And I'm just, I'm just saying, in a world where global supply chains are being fractured and torn apart, it's uh, very convenient that uh, much closer to the northern European frugal countries, they are creating a permanently indebted uh, underclass of labor to, right to their south. Uh, hmm. Very useful for them yeah mm, but yeah uh, but, uh yeah, yeah. So the uh hey, but the, the, look look on the moving, bright side right okay, yeah. if, if you were
3: in southern europe there is one thing you can guarantee the european union will continue to fund and this is the way that we'll get recovery in uh, whether it's greece or spain or wherever else and that is we have to make every citizen of those countries a border guard yeah mm.
4: no i, I thought you, Ma, i thought you were gonna say invisible ai
3: <laughs> yeah. no, no 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 we, we literally we literally just do the frontier provinces thing that has been implicit in the european project since the early days and we just we just make everybody it's it's cop zone it's a yeah. greece cop zone yeah we put a big siren on top of greece it's a <laughs>
4: it's funny you mention that because um you know i think that there is going to be uh, people will be looking to the state, of course, for, for employment opportunities. It's an opportunity in that regard to kind of try to reinvest in the public sector. At the same time, in the shutdown, if, you, you know, if, if you're reading these stories coming out of Sicily, like you know, if no one can work, the black market really does flourish. And if the state's not providing, then it leaves huge room for the mafia and their friends to basically be that uh, social service. Of course, they've never disappeared. Uh, in, in that regard, and kind of being the backbone of many of these communities and having, you know, providing services the state refuses to provide. And that's only going to strengthen. So you're going to end up in a situation like a Jets and Sharks situation where it's just Frontex people and mafiosi. Uh, all
2: <laughs> the only, that's dialectics. Yeah. Is, those are the only two jobs left. Like that, that and then working in some kind of like, again, like third world condition factory in where the Coliseum used to be. Uh, putting together uh, shit for Germany, uh. but it, coming up to, over to the UK as well, right? There's been this leak from the Treasury again that says that has been shown to Rishi Sunak, where he said, "Look, we're getting a, a lot of debt, and as debt, and it says, quote, as debt is likely to reach significantly higher levels after the crisis, it will be important to stabilize the debt to debt to GDP ratio to prevent debt from continuing to grow in an unsustainable trajectory. Because we, as we all know, if that line goes up, it makes other lines sad."
0: Exactly. Mm. We can't have that. The lines are going in all kinds of directions, and we need to make sure they're all going up. The leaked
2: Treasury memo has said that this could be funded through a combination of a rise in income tax, a scrap on the, on the <laughs> triple, pension triple lock for the elderly, and a freeze in pay for all the public workers that we're sending to die as heroes. troops fighting the coronavirus. Heroes. Yeah, yeah. They are heroes, but they are heroes, and we suspect that being a hero will be pay rise enough.
3: Yeah, and also, uh, like, they not to, not to get to some somebody stopped had to stop listening to this because it was too blackpilled. Uh, this uh, the show, uh, cowards. How about this? Uh, it, maybe it's easier to freeze pay if a lot of the people in that sector fucking die. Mm. Like, well, I don't there's know. less
0: of them, so then that will be less expensive to pay them all. This actually all mm. make it's going to pay for itself.
2: Mm. But these are being presented as hard as hard limited choices. Uh. And they have, this has been cast this way since the for the entire uh, duration of the furlough, where we oh we must to live now we must suffer in the future. Meanwhile, we have the world's first trillionaire. We've got um, you know Richard Branson uh, getting getting a government bailout for his like hobbyist airline, <laughs> um, and th- it is just still beyond the pale in terms of what is considered acceptable to. Have this tax come from the wealthy instead of, quote, showing solidarity by taxing everyone. So, David, can you talk hmm. a little more on this idea of hard choices? And this is Europe, UK, all of it.
4: I think that we've, this, I think this comes back to my point about there not being a rising force to challenge many of the narratives that are developing now. Yeah. It it's, really that, not-
3: it's the dog that hasn't barked.
4: There's, yeah, exactly. And I think part of that has to do with the politics if we were to play out the European story and give it a bit more uh, of a narrative flourish, it results in kind of, ma- you know, the, this Merkel fudge, was really, or I should call it the Schultz fudge, because Olaf Scholz was really its architect, massively deflating this push. You had a ream of op-eds from people, even like Pedro Sanchez, the PM of Spain, basically being like, Europe itself is at stake, speaking in this super inflamed language about um, uh, what was really going to happen in the course of this Corona bond standoff. And then they just fudged it. And that was kind of the end of the story, and I just feel like we're we, we ha- in the wake of major electoral defeats in Anglo uh, America, in the wake of, uh, of the evisceration of of the left and even the center left and its transformation into a kind of uh, you know institution of, of the Austrian establishment. We just we 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 got to reorganize. We don't have we're, we're really at a historical nadir here. Uh, and, and unless we can pick ourselves up and get, get excited about that fight, I just think that we're not going to even have the power to frame our own, to challenge those, the the perception of those trade-offs and create a a counter narrative that can win. That's,
3: that's something that we were talking about before we started recording of like my, my, I said this earlier, but like my entire political life has just felt like we've been, we've been in the car speeding down the, the highway. And I've just been watching the different off ramps go past, and thinking, okay, well, surely this one is going to be like the inflection point that makes people uh, enter like what I what I've taken to calling the cool zone. <laughs> it just has never happened.
0: Surely I we're not gonna drive straight through that gigantic tire fire. <laughs>
3: yeah. well, right, we're now it's... on like the fifth tire fire, and we're not even we're yeah. arguing about whether or not we can put the windows up.
0: The car itself it... is entirely made of flaming tires at this point.
2: <laughs> I'd like to talk about the state the status of the car and the sort of what fourth or fifth tire fire, which right is that like these are being presented as the hard choices we need to make to save the economy, sure. But we're, we're not we're, we're doing this without a public sector left to cut. We're doing this with, with we're raising income taxes, but the wages at historic lows yeah. with mm-hmm. most people out of work and having their wages paid by the state. Like like we yeah. said, the line is done. The, 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 hard,
3: is... the hard choice the hard yeah, the choice hard... is which 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 lane of the freeway would you like me to approach the tire fire in yeah uh, <laughs> like off ramp it's they're right like,
2: there auster- austerity is is an ideological project about transferring public goods into private hands but there's not that much left to transfer there's I, I don't I don't see I don't see what this is supposed to do for the rate of profit I don't Riley, see I present also
0: the the cops provided privately
2: by Richard Branson, <laughs> <laughs> Virgin Frontex. In fact, before mm. we before we finish up, I I have some quotes from Ken Rogoff um, about Britain. Fra- another death. friend of the show. Yeah, uh, the last thing on Earth you should be worried about in the UK right now is the budget deficit, said Ken Rogoff. <laughs> <laughs> And that the COVID nineteen shock is actually a, is actually an illusion. The costs are partly a statistical illusion because fiscal money is flowing from part of the economy to another part, but then it is not being destroyed. Nothing is destroyed so long as, as firms and households are kept whole. But at this point, when and this is back to me now, when this intervention is the only thing keeping them whole, and there is no incentive for you know privately held capital to keep them whole anymore, I don't understand how. We aren't any. We're no longer just coasting on momentum. You know, maybe well, that, I that's my it. question. That's my question yeah.
3: about austerity. To David is like, yeah. w- why when its architects are being like, now we got we got to stop doing the austerity, boss. It's getting a bit late in the day for that. Are, are we still find these fucking suits still wanting to do it. Yeah,
4: because I don't think they see a downside. I mean, one of the really striking things about this crisis that does separate it from the last one is in the last one there was a perception of a generalized crisis. So you know everyone was being hit there was like a small group you know it was counterintuitive you know because some banks did go down a lot of bankers lost their jobs you know the, the wall street was responsible but they seemed to also be, you know but the rich people are getting richer in this crisis right uh you know if you look at the distribution it's actually just living out the marxian thesis of immiseration and accumulation uh and i don't think that they perceive anything to lose as long as that dynamic continues to drive their accumulation on the one hand, it's our job to kind of force the almost so basic, I can't believe we're talking in the language like it's fucking 1945, force the kind of 40 and compromise again of being like, no, we're all in the same boat together. Like, no, you can't do that. But we're at that point where they're like, hold on, wait, I'm getting richer from this pandemic. What, 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 why would I want to reinvest in infrastructure that could give even a glimmer of hope to a different kind Awesome. Of More pandemics, please.
3: Hmm. <laughs> well, we're heading that way. Wait yeah. till that permafrost starts melting.
2: Yeah. So, hey, well, continues um, melting. Yeah. Uh, so in that in, in that vein, uh, David, I have five dollars a month too many. Is there something I could yeah. possibly yeah. send that to? I'll, I'll take the plug. Yeah. So I think yeah. it is,
4: you know this does this does give me that glimmer of hope because I, I feel just as black billed as your listeners in terms of really struggling with the kind of nihilism of the moment. I think if you look at the face of this virus, it's very difficult to find silver lining, so you know it's in that context that uh, with along with you know several luminaries of uh, of the international left, people like like Chomsky, people like Naomi Klein, people like Arundhati Roy, as well as you know sitting ministers from Argentina, past presidents like Rafael Correa, the Prime Minister of Iceland, and many others. We launched this new progressive international. I think the idea behind this is just that there's such a big appetite for for international solidarity, and people just have no. No idea of where to put that. Something we've also discussed last times on the podcast is like people love to tweet shit like "I stand in solidarity with the people of Brazil." It's like as if that was anything, as if that was a the symbolic was it was you know enough was sufficient. And so we get it. You
0: like asses. We understand. Exactly.
4: <laughs> no, but I think we ended up in a kind of the, the sort of solidarity as a signaling politics, uh, which is really really dangerous to the very concept of solidarity as a kind of meaningful. Yeah, in, in, it's in, in.
2: almost as though all of, all of life is being experienced as an immense accumulation of spectacles.
4: So that's <laughs> what, we're to, what, we're, what we're trying to counteract. So the, the premise of launching this Progressive International is, first and foremost, that we need a new international. We just need a a newer, better infrastructure for coordinating left movements around the world, especially in this dire time when most of us are going to have to rely on a kind of boomeranging politics where we're losing domestically. And we rely on learning things from other people around the world and and, and building together in that more international community, especially in the context of a pandemic that's going to require internationalist response. So that's much of the sort of premise of of why we've launched this new international. Um, And it's quite a capacious thing. I myself am not a huge fan of the tag progressive, but I think it does give us a lot of latitude to be working you know, across a certain degree of, of uh, ideological diversity in terms of bringing together left forces around the world into a common program. And the idea is that you know, our tag is we, we unite, organize, and mobilize progressive forces around the world, and that's really our hope. So past internationals were about bringing political parties together into the same roof, you know, which is fine, but or uh, really important. But I think we can all recognize in the 21st century that's ill-suited to the type of international we need because you may have much more loyalty to your podcast than you do to your political party. And so our conception is that we need to bring all of those types of organizations.
2: That's a, ver- that's a very uh, Pete Buttigieg thing to say. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Please carry on. Pokemon Go to the international.
0: Pete Buttigieg in coordination
2: <laughs> with Verka Herkstra.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, please, please carry on. I'm a piece of shit.
4: Think about it from a generational perspective. How many of us are unionized, right? How many of us respect the leadership of our political parties in a deep sense and trust them with our, you know, with, 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 there's a reason why we have social movements, be they like Momentum or Sunrise or the DSA that are emerging. It's because we don't trust the party elites that have cartelized and that have basically betrayed our trust year after year, election after election. So the premise of this international is like, okay, from each of those organizations, according to their ability, this also includes you guys. I mean, everyone has a part to play in kind of fostering this more internationalist political culture and helping to organize a more internationalist politics. Um, but also we want to bring them under, under the same roof to basically, you know, as members of this progressive international. So yeah, I mean, my, the pitch would basically be get involved. We have a super, you know, we have a kind of infrastructure that we've built in terms of pillars, one that was focused on, uh, activists and organizers and, and coordinating to work across borders. One that's really about policy, where we craft this kind of shared vision and reclaim the internationalist imagination that has withered horrendously over the past 50 years. And the last one is a kind of media-based, uh, a wire service, essentially, where we translate and disseminate uh, stories from around the world to try to have a more internationalist media environment. So, you know, I think it's a quite ambitious project. I also think it's no more ambitious than the, than the, the present moment demands. Um, And the hope is that we can kind of continue to institutionalize this international over the coming weeks and months. We have a summit plan in in September to bring together the members of our advisory council. But the idea is just where we can make this a more, you know, it continues to to move away from a model of, you know, internationalism became so thoroughly like fried in NGOification. If we can kind of revive a a deeper meaning of internationalism that actually has substance and is action-oriented, then I think that would be a huge victory for us. So that's
3: what I'm really hopeful about building. Excited well, hey. to to po- to caucus within the podcast to see if we can affiliate to you.
2: <laughs> well, mm. uh, I've given you five of my extra dollars a month, and I thoroughly encourage anyone listening who can um, to also do that. Mm. Um, so <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, you, you should. Uh, Greek firefighters anonymous fund.
0: <laughs> the problem uh, yes. is in a greece without the firefighters when the donkey is on top of the church roof there is no one to rescue donkey and the priest
2: has to throw donkey from church roof <laughs>
1: that's true <laughs>
2: that's right anyway look um i've done that i encourage you to do that if you can uh and also uh you know you know all about Uh, How we've got uh, t-shirts that have our logo and some art by a friend of the show, Matt Levchansky, who's going to be coming Mm -hmm. on again soon, I believe. And um, also, we've got the Patreon, five bucks a month. You know where to go. Uh, You know how to support it.
3: Yeah, you can do uh, global political mm -hmm. change and you can do uh, like listening to our shitheads talk about movies that we saw for the same price. That's an incredible (laughs) bargain.
2: That's right. It's buy one, get one. For a, a get what well, buy two, buy both. It's buy, buy two. two, buy two, two, get two. Get two. <laughs> that's right. What you see is what you get when you're talking about Trash Future and the Progressive International. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, also, you know the times for the Twitch stream it's nine to 11, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday of uh, every week on twitch.tv slash Trash Future Podcast. Um,
3: I think that's it's everything. Great. Yeah, take us home.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I think the, the last thing to note is that uh, we have a theme song. It's Here We Go by Sang. Listen to it early. Listen to it often. Uh, I've started listening to it again and decoded what the lyrics are. So I'm taking my own advice. Anyhow, uh, mm. I also want to thank David very much for coming on today as well before we leave. I hope it's not the last time, guys. It was so fun. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Definitely oh, have, to have you back. W- welcome, welcome back. anytime. Although, hey, what, Next time, let's like watch a movie or something so we mm. don't get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah can
3: we can we have can we have podcast outside today? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next time David comes back, let's just do something fun. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, with all that, uh, I will see you all later, everybody. Yeah. Bye, bye everybody.